Homeschool Expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast. Hi, friend, and welcome to Homeschool Expert. I'm so glad to have you join our conversation today with guest expert Tara Chanley, former professional educator and homeschool mom of seven, about how her experiences growing up internationally challenged her to think about education in creative ways, demystifying schooling multiple ages at home. Tara is a dear friend of mine, and I admire the quality, rigor, and holistic approach she's taken in educating her children. So Tara, thank you so much for joining us today to share your expertise about homeschooling. It is a pleasure to be here with you. This is going to be fun. So for listeners who are meeting you for the first time, can you give them a three-minute scoop about your family life? So who you are and what your family is like. Sure. Our family, we are, there are seven kids in our family. Right now, they're between the ages of 10 and 23. Um, we have homeschooled them, really all of them, since our oldest was four years old. Um, and then once we started homeschooling her, all the younger kids fell into homeschooling sort of by default because it became a successful model. Um, I grew up overseas. I had never homeschooled. I was always homeschooled in, excuse me, I was always schooled normally, both in private international schools and in public schools. I grew up until I was 10 in South America. And then we moved to New York. And then from New York, we moved to Europe where I finished high school. And then um, I ended up after college going back overseas where I worked as a teacher. I got my master's in teaching. And mm-hmm. I worked in Guatemala for several years, which is, in fact, where I met my husband. Um, he is from Philadelphia, but he was also down in Guatemala. And we fell madly in love and moved to Spain, where I got a job as the American school teacher in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And he, he got his MBA. And from there, we moved to England, where we began our family. And it was in England that I really. I had never, it had never occurred to me to homeschool, but the model of how young children are educated in England is why we ended up homeschooling. We moved to Oregon where my husband got a job with Nike and I tried to find a suitable school for our four-year-old who was already reading and was very precocious and all of the early education programs were so simplistic by the English standards, that I ended up falling into homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And again, being the European standards were more rigorous than what you're seeing here. Much more, much yeah, more. Okay. They, they they treat early education very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Americans, and it's not right or wrong, Americans tend to view those early years more as times of play and exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, le- less so, at least at that time in England. So we fell into homeschooling by default, and my husband was not in favor, but he came over to my side with time. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of a lonely decision when you make it, um, but it was, it, it was wonderful. And it, it ended up being the most formative part of our family's life because we were all on this, in this boat together, learning together, 
Uh, and my husband is now the biggest homeschool advocate out there. So it's it's been great. And I have not had to work outside the home, which is a tremendous luxury that not mm-hmm. not all share. But in our case, um, because my husband was the principal wage earner, I was able to be the full-time teacher. And so it has been um, just a, a great part of our family life all these yeah. years. It's, it's been 20 years that we've been homeschooling now. That's amazing. And I have to say that story of one spouse feeling compelled to homeschool and the other not so sure or on the fence or even against it is not that uncommon a story, right? Have, how have you seen that play out in the I've families you've known over the years? Over and over again. I see the, the, the one I've seen surprisingly a lot of dads who want their wives to homeschool and the wives are against it. Yeah. Um, and then they slowly come over and realize that it's not only doable, um, but appealing and that they, it, it really has so much to do with how they identify themselves. They feel that becoming a homeschooler is going to place them outside of normal. Mm. And it really takes a, a lear- steep, pretty steep learning curve to realize that um, you're not giving up any part of yourself to homeschool. Mm. You are just adding to, to your family dynamic. True. Yeah. And when you've seen these moms make the change or even the dads make the change, like for instance, I'd be curious what you think about the moms because with the dads who don't want to see their kids homeschooled, the the hinge point for them seems to be when they get the state testing standard scores back, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're like, oh, they're overperforming where they were before in school. Okay, I guess we're going to be all right. Right. So for the dads, I find that is the the linchpin. Like this is going to be doable. But what do you find is a linchpin for the moms? We start out saying there's no way I'm qualified, capable. This is overwhelming. How do they make that mental switch? Well, I think a lot of them are concerned about the age-old adage that you're going to be socially ostracized. You're yeah. going to be di- you're going to be dysfunctional if you homeschool. Yeah. Um, so often, when I would talk to people, they would be shocked that we homeschooled because, mm-hmm. and they would openly say, "But you seem so normal." <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and so it, it's a realization that you don't you're not going off and putting yourself in some camp of the bazaar. There is, it doesn't exist. It's just a different way to educate and that you can be fully normal, functioning, happy, productive members of society and homeschool. There's, it's not a separate camp. Yeah. It's unfortunately such the rare, you know, sliver of people who get the press who are homeschooling and doing something bizarre, but it's really not the norm, right? It's just the, the sad traumatic cases of something terrible that happened. And compounds, exactly. right? That word is often used and you're like, oh no, please don't tell me you homeschooled. <laughs> you're going to set us back 10 years. But um, yeah. It's, yeah. But it's dealing, dealing with, you know, whether it's grandparents, neighbors, friends, dealing with those perceptions can be what curbs the mom away from wanting to homeschool. She's worried about what people are going to think of her and her kids. Yeah. My that, mom's that worst takes critics time. were, yeah. And, and my mom's worst critics were family members. Um, uncles and aunts yep. or parents who came in and said, you're going to ruin your children or you're making square pegs or round holes. And mm-hmm. that's painful when the people you love aren't supportive of that step. So to the people listening, yeah, be encouraged if that can even be an encouraging message to know that you're not alone in feeling like I'm I the only crazy person thinking of doing this right now because so many of us have felt crazy at some point or been told we're crazy and come to find it's actually wonderful. So well, I and luckily, to know, go ahead. Yeah. And those perceptions are changing so radically. 
Yeah. So especially with COVID now, everyone's realizing that homeschooling is just another way. It's no, it's, it's no longer in that box. It's come out. And there are positives and negatives to all different kinds of homeschooling and public schooling and private, right? And online. Um, everything yeah. has its strength. So yeah, it's just another way to learn. So where are your older kids now? The youngers, I assume 10 and up are still at home, but how about your older? Yeah, set? we have, we have four kids still at home. We've got two in college and we've got one out of college. The three that went off to college, went off to college seamlessly with academic scholarships. We're happy. Um, we've got my, my eldest is in, in Los Angeles and we've got two in college in Texas. One is pre-med doing brilliantly. And the other one is going to graduate next year. Um, already has a fantastic job offer with Deloitte. Um, That's great. So doing really well. So, um, they have certainly not been hindered and, uh, our daughter, the oldest, um, who, Probably should have stopped homeschooling when she was entering ninth grade, but she mm-hmm. waited because of us until 10th grade. She is the only one that had some bitterness at the end of homeschooling years and said, I don't want to homeschool anymore. Um, and she was the one that had a few negative comments about homeschooling, mm-hmm. felt saying that she felt a little trapped by it at the end. And she now is the biggest advocate for homeschooling saying Hmm. that her, all the gifts of her writing skills and how to think and be independent are thanks to homeschooling. And Hmm. she sees that as such a leg up over her peer group. So no, my kids, the kids are doing wonderfully. And then we've got two in high school here in Bend and we've got uh, one in middle school and one in, um, fifth, no, yeah, fifth grade now. Awesome. So with your older three, can you remind me, cause I, I'm not sure I have the details right, but all three went to private high school at some point. Is that right? We, the, they all three went to private high school. Yes. And, and how yeah. was that transition though, from homeschooling to private high school? Because if I recall, that was a fairly like challenging school to attend. And how did that, how did that work for them? Yeah, they were academically very strong private schools that are identify as college preparatory, something like 98% of the kids went on to to good colleges. Mm -hmm. Um, They had no problem whatsoever. Because our family was very socially dynamic and involved in the community, um, there was no, it wasn't like you were crossing out of some bubble into the real world. Our family was already in the real world. We just also homeschooled. Uh, so they didn't have any adjustments whatsoever. Um, That's in fact, awesome. our, our, our oldest boy, cause we have a daughter, five sons, and then another daughter, mm-hmm. our oldest boy, he, when he went to his high school, he did not tell anyone that he had been, <laughs> cause, and right. I think yeah. you, you did the same thing, right? When right. you went to college, you I did not publicize that. Yep. Until you, it was clear. Yeah. I'd earned my stripes. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's what he did. So when he went to high school, he didn't tell anybody. Um, that school had something like 38 private schools feeding into it. So it was nobody recognized the fact that he was an outsider. And he, um, it wasn't until he was a junior that he so, so-called came out of the homeschool closet. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone laughed. They thought it was a great secret. Um, he didn't get any. He didn't get, and then his senior project, he ended up doing a massive report on homeschooling. Oh, did he? Oh, I'd love to see that sometime. That would yeah, be amazing. And he, and, and he came out our biggest advocate as well. So again, 
kids that were a little bit skeptical and not wanting to talk about it came out realizing fully um, the gift that homeschooling had been. Right. And it wasn't even, at least in my case, it wasn't that I was afraid to admit that I'd been homeschooled. It's that I already knew the negative bias waiting for Uh me. And I thought... I can't let them start with that or they will self-fulfill that prophecy in their own minds. I need yeah. to first show them who I am and then I can lift the jack-in-the-box lid and say, guess what? Exactly. <laughs> so, which is what we did with our oldest when he started public high school. Uh, we didn't tell the teachers for the first six or nine weeks until that back-to-school sort of first parent-teacher night. And then mm-hmm. we came in and met with them and said, oh, yeah, and, and how's the transition going. And they said, yeah, well, you're new to the city. And I said, well, yeah, we're new to the city, but he's new to school. He's never been in school before. What do you mean he's never been in school before? He's homeschooled. Really? And even then, you know, not being, they meant to be positive and, and complimentary saying, you never would have guessed he was homeschooled. It's like, I am believing you mean that as a compliment right now. <laughs> I yeah. give you the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, even still, it's um, a surprise to many that these kids do so well. So one of the questions, um, though, that I know parents are then given all your story, Tara, they're excited to hear about is this idea of, of having multiple kids sitting around the same table or living room or wherever, trying to teach them all at once. So mm-hmm. can you spend some time giving some practical advice sure. to parents about what they should be thinking about while managing the needs of multiple at different age levels, right? Sometimes you've got the youngers and then when you graduate out of all the baby years, but you still now have a big wad of kids, like how do they think about that? Well, yeah, I'd be happy to. It is not easy. So up front, it's challenging. I had, um, for many, many years, I had new babies all the way up to middle school. Mm-hmm. And it's, you have to be all in, Um it is a tremendous amount of work and, of course, balancing your, your household demands and family life and shopping and all the other things on top of it. Um, it's not a part-time job. At least it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I would say my top tip would be um, be very, very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about the ladder schedule where you yeah, don't have a ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't say at 8.05 we're starting math. But you're saying first we're doing math and then we will transition into this and then that and and it's fluid. And I would say mm-hmm. that's key, absolutely key to to schedule your time that way. Um, I would always start with the hardest subjects first when the little kids are fresh. So you have a happy two year old. The 12 year old can do their math better. Mm-hmm. Um, fact is, you're going to all be in the same room together you want to do the hardest subjects when everyone's at their best. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say do not use multiple separate grade level curriculums yeah. for each for each individual child. It'll just make it so much harder. Um, each kid on their own schedule with their own curriculum, working through their own workbooks, all in separate bubbles. I think that's going to make it harder. What I did was I would have... Um, Obviously, kids would have their own math workbooks and their own perhaps science or things like that. But in terms of wherever I could, I would teach a lesson. For example, if I read a chapter out of Story of the World for history, mm-hmm. I would have, um, for example, if the 12-year-old was going to do a an essay on what caused the Revolutionary War, for example, um, the 
10-year-old might just write a simple paragraph on the exact same topic, mm-hmm. working on supporting ideas, and the five-year-old might work on writing one sentence and draw a picture. They're all mm-hmm. dealing with the same material, but I'm I'm leaning up or down according to their skill levels. Yep. And I, I did that with almost all my material. So whether I was doing a Spanish lesson, a science lesson, reading history, dealing with something creative, I would always try to make it somehow a group lesson that everyone then went off and did something age adjusted. Yeah, that's that, so smart. That everyone was included and it made everyone work better. Everyone, did you, nobody felt like they were outside. And so did you pick the grade level for the oldest kid or the one in the middle and then you ramped it up and down or how did you decide which, I mean, in homeschooling, you and I are both aware that there are not necessarily specific grade levels for all books. Yeah. And offerings, but to new listeners, they're thinking, well, then do I buy the fifth grade to go through the eighth and the third or, uh, you know, can well, you unpack see, that part? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't tend to use uh, grade level specific curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of, say, the story of the world and a lot of the curriculum that's uh, in the, the Well-Trained Mind book. Mm-hmm. I would use a lot of original sources, a lot of literature. Uh, uh, I would, yes, go for the one that was going to be challenging for the oldest child, but it would never be um, inaccessible entirely to the mm-hmm. other age. Even right. if they're only capturing 10% of it, that's better than nothing. Right. Um, and then you can work with that and fill it in for them later. So, yeah, yeah I, again, I would avoid very grade level specific curriculums that have just, you know, the, the strict reading passages and the strict answers. And the I would try to do stuff that can be kind of spread, like you said, ramped up or down as much as possible. Great. So consistency um, and then overarching lesson plans are the two key points I'm hearing you say. Exactly. So far, right? yeah. You want to allow inclusion despite co- cognitive readiness because the kids will behave better and they're going to learn more than you realize. Yeah. Why would I? Why would I teach my younger child less? Is sometimes exactly why, that I they will people. more often. Yeah, they will more often than not reach up. Yeah, and I still remember the day. Our so we have four, and our youngest was barely walking, and she starts running around the kitchen saying, "It's unanimous! It's unanimous!" <laughs> and she knew that was an exciting word, had no idea what it meant, but knew it was supposed to be like this charging positive energy. I thought. That's just hilarious that's that so she's picking up, yeah, words like unanimous, yeah. a two-year-old, no. Uh, that's so amazing. Who knows what they're going to hear? So our, our content was always appropriate for little ears, right? Or if we have a sad story mm-hmm. or if it's something in like To Kill a Mockingbird, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. Scout's going to get attacked in the box. You know, I hope that's not a spoiler alert for anybody listening. It shouldn't be by this point, right? <laughs> but we would have the youngest maybe go play with a toy quietly down the hall just for that one little bit that we didn't want to alarm him. But otherwise, it was always kid appropriate for whoever was listening. I assume it was exactly. the same for you yeah. also, right? Yeah. yeah. No, that was one of my favorite, my kid's favorite book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, and again, the little kids got just as much into the story in their own way. And whenever, whenever possible, if I was doing a lesson that they couldn't participate in, like if I was reading aloud a book that was above grade level, and I always did try to read books out loud that are a little bit above grade level, um, I would have um, puzzles 
out of beads, tangrams, blocks, Legos. I even always had an indoor little text play structure um, in the room so that they could always go and do something physical. And I always had a trampoline in the garage um, because I I found, especially living in Portland where it was raining all the time, I had to have those 10-minute trampoline breaks where they would go and get it out of their system and come back. So allowing for... um, the little kids to always have something that they can go to that they're not allowed access to necessarily during right. off school hours, something that right. remains special. Um, and of course I did use the iPad also. There's an awful lot of good educational stuff on the iPad as long as it's done in, you know, 15, 20 minute blocks and it's, you know, used appropriately. In the other thing I would, yeah. yeah. The other thing I would do for when you're dealing with little kids who need to realize that life is still fun and they're not just always riding on the boring tail of school, um, that they can go out. And I would, for example, we we built a, a quarter mile track around our house. We had a fairly large property. And every time somebody had a, a, a problem with discipline or attitude or got mad and needed to burn off some steam, I would send them out to um, walk the loop or even jog a mile. Mm-hmm. And I could, and so just going out there and I could see them the whole time, but they just needed to get out of the, the room and then come back and re-enter with a level head. Yeah. Um, and you can do that with breaks. anything. Yeah, yeah. House, we call them body breaks. It's not even like recess. It's it's you need to do heavy lifting, cross body motion, right? This is what occupational yeah. therapists are all now echoing. They're like, yes, when they're having an attitude so issue important. or focus issue, get them out in the fresh air and lifting, chop wood, something, <laughs> just send yeah. them outside. Yeah, so true. You know, and especially with seven kids, you don't always key in on who's having a bad day right at the moment that they need you to notice. And so always having those alternatives. Also them mm-hmm. being knowing knowing that they can come and tell you, I need to go walk the loop. Yes. Um, and having that freedom built in, knowing that it's not so rigid. Um, I love it when my kids get to that age where they've learned enough about our modeling for them, about healthy boundaries and understanding ourselves that they can come to us at age nine or whatever and say, I think I'm starting to feel stressed. And you want to laugh because yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, you've got six problems <laughs> on a math page. You feel stressed, but you can't, right? We have to respect the totally. feeling that they're having. And we say, yes, you, I can see that. Yeah. What do you think mm-hmm. you should do? I think I need to go, you know, swing on the swing in spirals. Great. Take 10 minutes and come back. Yeah. I love it when they yeah. get to that self-awareness level. It's exciting. It is. It's very exciting. And then to continue with things that I would recommend for teaching multiple ages, um, even the little kids need to feel that they are doing real school. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to identify as having work to do. Um, I would m- mitigate the overuse of having older kids help the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that when I saw other school, other homeschool families that had multiple ages all at the same time, some of them tended to have, you know, the eighth grader do way too much with the second grader. Um, yeah, part-time tutor almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that kind of, that, that plays with their identity. Um, and I would say that they need to be um, occasional helpers during the school day, but it's more about their journey and not to overuse them as built-in tutors for the younger kids. Um, and then I was never one to send my kids off to their to their bedrooms or to another room if they felt that the room was getting distracting. Because obviously when you have, you know, puzzles and 
playing on the trampoline or whatever's going on in the room, mm -hmm. it can be really distracting for the kid who's trying to sit there and work through algebra. Yeah. Um, and so I would allow go to your room or go downstairs or go do something different to get away for a little while. But I would always limit it to 30 minutes away if they needed to concentrate, because I felt that it was really important that I have my eyes on them and that I'd be able to check in with them all the time. And just going off and putting on their AirPods and separating themselves too often, um, I think you lose your, um, your ability to guide them and they get they get too lonely. I don't mm -hmm. think they they realize the extent to which um, being in the community of your homeschool is beneficial for their identity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then the other thing I used all the time was I would play music. I would put on Gregorian chants every time my kids needed to really concentrate. We called it our serious. It was our serious music. That's great. And so the whole room would fill with Gregorian chants. And that meant you weren't allowed to talk. And it really sets the tone for the thinking that's going on. Either that or Yo-Yo Ma was my other favorite. But yeah. uh, that put, using music to set the mood of the room is really beneficial. Hmm. And then, of course, the other thing I would do that I thought was really helpful with multiple ages was I made sure we got the hard work done in the morning. Um, and then we always had a one hour lunch break where the kids would have to play outside or do something physical. And then the afternoon was going to be more fun learning. It's when I would mm -hmm. do read aloud for an hour or we would watch that, you know, documentary. We went through every David Attenborough science video. Um, so it would be more uh, of a relaxed time um, where they weren't as engaged in the hard work. Yeah. So I, I guess those would be my, oh, and then lastly, sorry, my last oh, recommendation, my last recommendation, it would be when you have multiple kids and you're trying to juggle all of them, don't over schedule outside commitments. Yeah. Um, sure. Really, I think you recommend in your book, which I thought was so good, is add one thing at a time. And if that's manageable, add another one if it's really what you want. But don't overschedule outside commitments. It's so tempting for um, homeschool families to feel mm -hmm. that now they think they're somehow cheating their kids and therefore they have to schedule everything from, you know, fencing to whatever. They overschedule with piano lessons and swimming and they, they add so many. And choir and like there's so much out there. It's hard not there's to get so like, much yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. But then that does start to eat. Uh, kids need free time. So you um, you want to be careful about not overscheduling outside commitments because that adds to your stress as the homeschool mom. Right. And the number of commitments that make sense for your family might be different from the what makes sense for my family, too. Like, I don't know about your kids, totally. but yeah. even though they loved their activities, the days where I had blocked it to have nothing happening that was outside the home, right? So Tuesdays, we're not doing errands or anything, like whatever the day was. And they'd get up and they'd look at our Happy Monday board and see that they had no place to go. And they'd cheer. <laughs> like, uh, yay, yeah. we get to stay home all day. And it's not because they didn't love going to swimming or gymnastics or whatever the other stuff was. They loved being with their friends. But to have those open, free pockets of playtime to imagine or relax yeah, or read, it's, they love yeah, it. It's the variation. They need the variation. Yeah. 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 Those are all such great points, Tara. Every single one of them. So for... 
new listeners and you want, they just want to go back and they're going to rewind it and start back at the beginning multiple times. Cause that's such information that I, I imagine for you took years to sort of figure out or learn from other homeschool families around you, I would suspect. Well, I felt like I was always, you know, when you have a new, another baby every two years, um, it's, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. And again, the blessing for us was that financially, I could be the full-time mom. I could focus entirely on homeschooling. We did move to Mexico for three years um, when the kids were very young. We only had, we, we, our fifth child was born in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it, I was able to, again, fully homeschool down there. We lived in Guadalajara. Um, but again, it, got, it was funny because when I would go out to any social event or the grocery store, people would say, where do your children go to school? And I would say I homeschool. And in Mexico, that's, you're, you're going to be arrested. I mean, <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody homeschools. And so it actually reached the point where I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so mm-hmm. I just would, I told them, I, I said homeschool in Latin. And so I, I, I thought said, you were just going to say you made up a special name for your school and say they attend this I, random. Well, I did. I said program. Yeah. Yes. And they said, well, where, where is that? And I said, oh, it's a very exclusive home. Home (laughs) And and then I got all the respect in the world, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, but I always felt the confidence to modify, be creative Mm -hmm. and trust myself. Um, and, and I think that's probably the number one bit of advice I would give is that you have to trust yourself. You are doing the right thing, mm-hmm. no matter how you do it, no matter how you customize it. Um, and, and the, the willingness to customize when things don't feel right. Um, you're not trying to reproduce institutional learning. You're doing it as an extension of your family and an extension of your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to feel right if you're trying to just reproduce what somebody would do in a classroom. That's very well said. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And even then, for how would you advise parents who say, yes, but Tara, I don't have my master's in education. I'm just sure I can't teach them how to write an essay. Um, how do you encourage parents then who are worried about subject areas they can't, they don't feel qualified to teach? Well, I would, I've heard that many, many times. I could never do it. You're a real teacher. You've taught high school. You have your master's. And all I really say is that all that qualified me to do is to know what I was rejecting when I reject institutional schools. Hmm. That gave me full insight to know why I chose homeschooling. Mm -hmm. It didn't prepare me to homeschool. Um, If anything, the, the homeschool model is so very different because you're doing the ideal. You're tutoring one-on-one. You're nourishing their body, mind, and soul. Um, so it's such a completely different model. To the person who doesn't trust themselves, I would encourage good resources like yours above mm-hmm. all. Oh, I, would, I would encourage um, the, the right core curriculums, not not packaged curriculums that, you know, tell you when to sharpen your pencil and everything. Mm-hmm. But the the the, pack, the the core curriculum, such as the well-trained mind um, type curriculums, and there's so many good books out there on on how to classically homeschool your child or how, how to approach it or um, how to teach writing. 
there's so much good curriculum out there that just a good couple of searches on the web and talking to a good a good couple of homeschool families mm-hmm. will lead you down the right paths. It really, it really equips the parents with the, what mm-hmm. they need to teach it, right? That sometimes I've seen like specifically writing curriculums come with DVD programs where the mm-hmm. parent watches the DVD on their own for 40 minutes and then they come teach their child the lesson or they all sit down yep. together or variations yep. on that. So the parents don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have to figure this all out myself alone. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, if that's what you mean. It's out there. Yeah, it's yeah. out there. Homeschooling's been around there. so long. By now, by now, some flavor of just about everything is out there. Yeah, it is. It is. That's it's good. A matter of filtering through it. Yeah, that's the even harder part than for mm-hmm. newbies now. So then, Tara, what would you encourage um, new homeschoolers as a healthy expectation of what real life should look like when they're homeschooling a house full of youngsters? And we're talking like grades three and down. Okay. Well, again, I can't reiterate enough how important having that ladder schedule timeline is mm-hmm. um, not not believing that you're going to be on an exact timeline, but having your goals in order. Um, so prioritizing the day ahead of time, um, things are always going to go sideways. No matter how well you plan, you're going to have a sick child or you're going to have, uh, you know, a your car dog. breaks down, yeah, whatever. Something. Yeah, so many things can, are going to go wrong or you're going to have that contractor that has to come, you know, fix the heater and they can only come right in the middle of when you were going to do history or yeah. there're going to be so many interrup- interruptions. You learn how to do temporary autopilots on your homeschool. Um but I would as much as possible avoid household responsibilities during the week. So try not to schedule at least 3 hours a day. Protect that window of the day. Yeah. Try not to answer the phone, try not to do other stuff. Even try not to do laundry. I mean, when you have seven kids, it feels like laundry takes over your life. But <laughs> yeah. you, you, you have to completely block it out. I always had a designated time and a space where I homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a designated homeschool room, which worked for us. But any anything works. Any variation on that works. The kitchen table is wonderful. Um, I would say be consistent, but... Be flexibly consistent. Yeah. Um, if you're too rigid on your schedule, you're just going to stress yourself out. Yeah. So if things break. have, to, if, yeah, if things have to bend, that's okay. You're homeschooling. You're not again trying to reproduce um, the institution. And so often, a new homeschooler feels that they have to exactly keep a rigid schedule in order to show everyone else in their life that they're doing it right. They feel that the, the magnifying glass is on them as the homeschool parent, and they want to mm-hmm. prove they're doing it right. They feel slightly nervous about it. They feel self-conscious about it, and therefore they they, they flex that rigidity onto their kids, mm-hmm. and that can be unpleasant. And so realizing you're not being judged, you're learning as you go, you're yes. learning kids. So flexible consistency, I think, is really essential. That's um, such a good point though, Tara, or even ignore those judges if you are or think you're being judged. Yeah. Right. Too yeah. often as parents in general, homeschoolers or otherwise, we use our kids as a yardstick to say, how good of a job did I do? And then especially when the buck starts here with homeschooling, when we are, or when we feel like we are their everything, we are their social organizer, we are their curriculum, yeah. we are their everything. It's like, oh my goodness, if my something turns out with my kid that's not perfect, everybody's going to look at me and think I messed up. And it's like, you know what? Last I checked, there weren't any perfect people. 
no matter what school system they went through. And Mm -hmm. we're just, we're trying to love our kids so that when they exit this, they know how to be self-taught. They're confident in who they're made to be. And they're excited to go out and explore the world with compassion. It's like, if those are, those are our family's core values, right? So whatever your family's core values are, stick to those. And as for all the other naysayers, it's just like, you know, it's true, but that, but that is, that is a muscle that has to be built though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that it's, but well said, you have to simply walk your family's walk. Um, One of, one of the things that made real life homeschool in our family a little bit more fun was I tried to work in surprises every now and then Mm. Um, makes it fun. And the fact is as a homeschooler, you have flexibility. So, for example, one time I absolutely had to go to Costco during homeschool because we were going to be entertaining and too bad I had to do it. So I made it sound like it was a game. And I we all went to Costco. I had seven kids all on my cart, Mm -hmm. all hanging on the side, trailing, touching things they shouldn't touch. And so I spontaneously made a game. I said, "Okay, as I add things to the cart, you have to in mental math, you have to judge and try to count. What will my total be by the time oh, yeah. I reach the red? What, what's my total going to be when I reach the register? So pay attention to everything I put in the cart mm. and check the price. And whoever gets the closest gets a berry smoothie. Ooh. And oh my goodness, it turned into the most fun game. They wanted to play that just the total game at Costco every time we went. Um, or another time I gave them a challenge of um, we, went, we, we had to go to Trader Joe's and I said, okay. You're each given $10 and you have to make a family dinner with $10. Yes. Not an easy challenge, but no. they had to really work through budgeting. Is this a balanced meal? They had to then cook and serve the meal. And uh, that was another fun. So you can make challenges that are fun, that incorporate life skills. But to mm-hmm. them, it's such a variation in the normal day that it becomes a really memorable experience. Um, do, do a spontaneous obstacle course on the driveway. Um, mm-hmm. t- time them doing something. All of a sudden, you know, pull out a hula hoop and say, you know, whoever can spin this the longest on their hips wins, a, you know, whatever. So just yeah. random, spontaneous challenges added a lot of spice to our days. Um, and I would say it keeps it keeps you laughing. It's really yes. keep laughing. And that's the stuff um, they remember too later. Like, do you remember the time mom mixed food coloring with shaving cream and we all had a shaving cream fight <laughs> outside? Yes. Like I did that one time and you still remember that. Wow. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, they, and that that's homeschooling, being able yeah. to do that kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. really fun. And your family especially has intentionally exposed your kids to the world and the needs of the world in creative ways. It's not like you're just traveling in yachts, like you've actually seen both sides of the picture. And can you talk about some of the ways that you've exposed your kids to the world? Because I know that's one concern, right? That we're putting our kids in a bubble by homeschooling. So how have you intentionally broken that bubble and gotten them out uh, to see the needs of the world? Well, um, like I mentioned, we lived in Mexico for a couple of years and mm-hmm. the, the, the we homeschooled there, but the poverty was undeniable all around us. Um, we had a bit of a country club lifestyle, but we made sure we got out and, you know, helped the poor on a regular basis. I wanted the kids to see the real world. Um, we have traveled extensively um, in Europe in particular, um, but 
I also took the kids three years ago, um, our now sophomore made a really ridiculous comment about some movie we were watching. It was an interview, a movie about Argentina. And he made a comment about why would you watch that? Who needs to know about that? And that <laughs> prompted my husband to say, are you kidding me? This is incredibly important. You must know about South America. And he looks at me and says, you guys need to go to South America for like a yeah. month. And so we had so much fun. Uh, the sophomore wasn't thrilled about it, but we ended up on a trip. We, yeah. I rented, I got an Airbnb in Cusco, Peru, mm-hmm. and we went down there and lived in a teeny little uh, condo right in the middle of the city for five weeks. And the kid, we did a deep dive into Spanish and um, Incan culture. And um, the, it was so intense. It was just me with uh, three of the kids. Hmm. And it was extraordinary experience. We ended yeah. up fini- finishing with um, hiking the Inc- the 26-mile Inca Trail into Machu Picchu. And it was wonderful. But again, the kids were exposed to the, the breadth of poverty and living off the land and um, lack of material comfort and possessions and it was it was eye opening, and again, that's an extraordinary trip that we were able to take. But even in, on the small scale, stepping outside of your box whenever you're able to, um, we're as homeschoolers, we're not in any one lane. The world is our lane. We can go anywhere, do anything. Um, even with a, a lower budget, we can do things that would not be possible if we were institutionally limited by the school schedules. Another thing we do is we sponsor kids um, abroad. So we sponsor them and then we get, I'm forgetting the name of the organization. I think it's Unbound um, where we, you know, we get letters from the kids and we write Mm -hmm. them back and there's this letter exchange. And so that's another way for the kids to get windows into India and Korea and, you know, Guatemala and they have to write letters back. See real um, people on the other side. Yeah. 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 And so, those are, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that as much as possible, um, even little, little opportunities like letter writing um, mm-hmm. are, are eye opening. Yeah, they are. And you have been intentional, though, not only in, in like that area or just speaking a moment ago about intentional fun and using the world as your classroom, but you've also been really intentional academically in how you've prepared your kids, you know, as a former teacher myself, when your kids would come over to play and tell me about all the work they were doing at home. I thought, Tara, holy cow, that's so incredible. So can you talk a little bit about, you just give us an overview of note taking, grades, test prep. There is a, there is obviously a strong divide in the homeschool world about do I give my kids grades or not? Do I test or not? So you don't have to do a super deep dive into that unless you're passionate about it, but just kind of an overview of how you have thought about rigorously training them for academics. Well, you know, I didn't, grade them in the beginning. Um, I would, I began, I think with checks, check plus or check minus. Mm-hmm. And I found over as they got older, they wanted more. Yeah. Um, and so I finally, I started grading things, um, especially their writing assignments, of course, all their math tests. They wanted to know that their efforts were being recognized Yeah, and they wanted to challenge themselves. So yes, I started grading their work consistently and I started giving report cards. And again, it doesn't have to be anything official, but to them, it's official. Right. Um, 
the fact is, until you're in high school, a transcript is irrelevant. It's not needed, no matter um, what school you attend. Right. Right. It's it's simply for the sake of the parents and the child's sense of completion and accomplishment. And so that's for that sake, I would give the kids report cards and there would, you know, sometimes be rewards attached, but not usually. They just wanted to understand how they were doing and where they could do better. So I just made up my own report card. And I think I gave them once a month, I would give them report cards. Hmm. Um, uh, any work poorly done is always done again so mm-hmm. that they know they can't simply turn in something poorly done and move on. Um one of the key things I have done in the last few years with homeschooling that's been particularly helpful is that I have the kids give regular presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, they whether it's um, something creative, whether it's on whether it's on a topic in science, whether it's uh, in history, they give regular presentations. They tend to be about three minutes long. To your family, that, right? They're, they're stepping up well, and talking to family. Yes, they will do it to their grandparents. They will do it to their dad because um, their dad does not, he does not really participate in the homeschooling at all. Um, so I like being able to bring him in and the kids present to him as their outside Great. audience. And yeah. then if I have no, if I have no one for them to present to, they present to my iPhone. And <laughs> it is, it, it's incredible how much being recorded mm-hmm. is serious, serious business for them. And yeah. Yeah, that, they take it yeah. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So that is perhaps the, the most important audience of, of all of them for in terms of teaching them accountability and public speaking and taking pride in their work and wanting to practice, practice, practice. That those presentations have really raised the bar on how they feel about themselves and want to do better. Um, the other thing I couple that with is having them do regular memory work. Um, which I think is important for their, um, again, um, not only their mental acumen, but their ability to present. Um, uh, Perhaps the most important thing for really having strong academics is making good curriculum choices, however. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have a resource to draw from, right? That it's all there ready for you to use or pass, but you get to choose as the teacher. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have, you know, even if you just go on to something like um, christianbook.com, they have bundles of curriculum they recommend per grade level. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you're just using a site like that to peruse curriculum, if you have just a few good anchors in your curriculum, um, that then leads many good places. But those can become your the rungs of your ladder. Mm-hmm. that you get to step on and know that you are leading them in a good direction. Um, you, you don't have to plan their entire math curriculum if you have a really good math series that you're following. Right. The, so having the good curriculum is really going to be your roadmap to serious academics. Um, I have always put a huge emphasis on writing skills. For me, that's just about next to math. It's the top thing in our curriculum. We use writing across the curriculum, and they're always writing and to some extent also working on grammar. But the writing is is the backbone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, I do tests as well. I think the kids need tests, want tests, and they 
are very satisfied by having done a test well. Right. Um, again, whenever they do a test, if whatever they get wrong, they get to go back and do the test again. So sometimes, you know, on a Spanish quiz, they might take that quiz three times. But at the end, they've learned it all. Yeah. And, and so I think taking the tests and I would emphasize don't just do um, fill in the blank tests or essay tests, but also prepare them for life ahead by having them do Scantron tests right, you know, yes. fill, before they go to high school or college because they're going to they face take a big test. Yeah. Yes, because then it can be terrifying otherwise. Yeah. And on that note, and on that note, have them practice opening a locker. <laughs> that, that, that can be yeah. another thing that they're not prepared for. Yeah, yeah. The locker one has me still chuckling to myself. But yeah, um, and scantrons and all that. We do a lot of their state standards actually online with their tests now because when they even take their driver's license exam, that's going to be online, and yep. a lot of colleges yeah. are moving towards online exams, and that can be really pressurizing to sit there, not only now with a clock, but with a computer telling me every answer I get right or wrong as I feed it in. So by practicing that at a young age, it kind of desensitizes them and helps them learn how to manage that anxiety in a healthy way. And that's all really good. I know that um, initially when I started talking about using grades with our kids, because that was not my plan either. I was very much the traditional model of put a smiley face sticker and and it's done. They try their best and let's just love learning for what it is. Um, but my husband, the non-homeschooler was the one who really challenged me to think otherwise. And I'm so grateful he did because, um, he got me thinking outside the box and saying, wait, but and the world is full of tests, promotions and demotions. Like what is that except pass and fail? And if we don't teach our children at home, how to think about that in a healthy way, we're setting them up potentially for failure because they won't know how to manage it in the real world later. And so for then for us to look at it and say, okay, Am I a bad parent for cheering for my child on the soccer field because she scores a goal? Well, no. Like we want to support them scoring the goal. That's wonderful. Well, why why is it a bad thing then if I cheer for her if she scores a hundred on spelling? Well, she knows so I don't I don't love her more or less because of the soccer goal or the spelling grade, but to be able to come alongside of her in all of her learning areas in life and say, Yeah, push harder and you're doing great and I love you no matter what. Um It's just a different way to think about grades. And so for those listening who are saying, wait a second, homeschools and report cards do not mix. It's like, well, just just pause that thought for a minute and be willing to to think outside the box like we did. And like it sounds like you did about how we can use uh, grades and assessment to be a measurement tool to show growth and progress and excitement as opposed to blame or shame or a lot of the other things that may have been in the past. Um, so I know that that was meaningful for us and I'm glad you picked up on that one. That was great. So, so yeah, Tara, how, just, how, go ahead. No, you want I was to just going to say that just as kids need goals and need parameters, I think they also need that feedback on how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives them their, it's a formation in their identity. Um, they need to know that they're stepping up in the world and they're making progress and they see the road traveled behind yeah. them and in front of them. And so I think grades gives them that. And as far as tests, if they can always revisit the test and do it again until they've mastered the material, they're also understanding the point of the test. Mm-hmm. So again, it can be used as a very effective tool. It is. It's a great tool. So then how did you decide how long to homeschool each of your kids? Because you've chosen different entry points for them at different levels. So that's one I question have. you get from families with lots of kids. Well, we've been all over the map. One thing I really wish is that with our first, our daughter, 
I wish we had had a plan from the beginning. Of course, we were reevaluating our homeschool decision each and every year. And as far as our daughter, she went all the way through ninth grade and we still didn't have a plan of what we were going to do. She started indicating that she wanted to go to regular school, Mm -hmm. um, but our local regular option was deplorable and I wasn't going to let her go there. And so in the lack, in the absence of other solid choices, we just kept homeschooling. And I think she got really frustrated. Um, So from that point on, she then entered a private high school in 10th grade and that was fine. But I saw that we could have avoided a lot of anxiety and stress for her had she known from sixth, seventh, eighth grade that she was going to be entering a normal high school in ninth grade. I think that yeah. would have been a, a nice runway for her to see. And so what we did with our other older kids was they all entered a private um, high school in ninth grade. Uh, and then that has changed a little bit since we've moved to Bend. Um, living here in Bend, we thought, well, let's give the local schools a try. This is a whole new adventure. Maybe they're better than we thought. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they weren't. But I would say that in terms of when we decide to go into normal school or institutional school, we haven't had a clear path. Um, it, but I think it's wise to. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good point to make. I know for our family growing up being homeschooled, each of us went back to school at different grades because it's what we needed. So it was less about an equation for our family's perfect Mm -hmm. expectation of homeschooling. It was what does each child student need or what does the parent need, right? Did mom and dad hit a wall in some season where it's like, you know, we need to pause for a while, or maybe we're just done. Um, And that's a completely valid reason to switch into a more traditional model. So Um, That's super helpful, Tara. So then two other questions, and then I know we'll let you go here. But if you could go back and tell yourself something, time travel back at the beginning of your homeschool Mm -hmm. journey, what's what's one thing you'd want to go back and tell yourself? Every child is different. And so as much as I wish I had had a clear-cut plan for our first homeschooling child as when she would begin high school, uh, we didn't have that. We were assessing schooling each and every year. Um, So I wish we had decided up front with her. Um, She in particular needed a plan. And I think some kids may want to know clearly what the future is going to hold for them. Mm -hmm. That my daughter, my daughter was one of them. Um, Speaking to my early homeschooling self, I would never have imagined that I would have seven children or homeschool for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. So um, all of that, uh, I would, I would say, stay the course. I would mm-hmm. say, go with your gut. Your gut is good. There were many, many times when I, you know, I succumbed to thinking I am somehow cheating my children. I'm not doing this enough. I, you know, I felt temptation to signing my kids up for too many classes or, mm-hmm. Um, doubting whether I was doing what was best for them. And uh, you cannot imagine how much curriculum I bought over the years, just thinking I might be missing something. I better buy the next book, buy the next book. Um, And I would say, go with your gut. No, if it feels right and you see your children thriving, stay there. You're doing, you're doing well. Yeah. That's such great advice. And even if your children aren't thriving every instant, don't go anywhere yet. Right? 
Don't exactly. switch math every two months just because you're not quite sure if long division's going well. Just stay put. Right. Yeah, exactly. And give it a test. Tara, that is all such great wisdom. I'm so glad you came on uh, the show today to talk about what you've learned over 20 years of homeschooling. I'm not going to give out your phone number because I know everybody wants to call <laughs> you after this and find out more. So thank you so much for making the time to, to share your perspectives as an, ed- ex- as an expert homeschooler teaching your kids at home. Well, it was absolutely my pleasure. Um, I, I hope your listeners realize the extent to which um, they will learn just as much as their kids and that the journey is really an adventure for their whole family. Mm. And it is every moment is time well spent and that there's no one, one way to homeschool. They will, if they do it um, according to their instincts, they will customize and adapt what's right for their family. So thank you for having me on today. It was a pleasure. That's so fun. Yeah. And thanks for coming on. This was great. And especially thank you, friend, for joining us today. I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining Ann Crossman on our podcast, helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this and we are here to help. We invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.